It's awesome to be here, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, uh, It's been, uh, like Jared said, a couple of weeks for me to kind of chew on this, because when I was originally supposed to preach, um, the flood happened, and we turned into the church on movement, right? And so that was an awesome day, and I'm so thankful that we were able to do that. Um, And I I just trust that God's timing is going to work out for us this morning. Um, But today I want to talk to you about one of the core themes of the gospel. And and that's that you are invited into God's family. Um, You know, uh, people ask me, why you wear those red shoes all the time, right? I get that. The little kids love it. But really it's to remind me of the bloody trail that Jesus Christ walked for me. And, and so when you see me with my red shoes on, you say, oh, he's after something. And so today, we've got him on. So we're invited into God's family. Um, I don't know about you, uh, but to me, one of the worst feelings that you can have uh, is to be left out or to feel uninvited uh, I know that as my walk with Christ changed, as I grew closer to Jesus, the things that I was invited to do changed. Like I no longer was invited to the New Year's party. I was no longer invited to different things because my morals, my values had aligned with something different than what a lot of those things I was doing were. And so I was left. I had to find a new thing to do. And so I felt uninvited. I remember being a little kid on the playground. Now, I don't know how it worked where you grew up, but where I grew up, Elkhorn City, just up the road, um, we had this double tennis court behind the middle school. And at Elkhorn, in the 80s, there just wasn't a lot of tennis. So <laughs> it become the football field for Nerf football or the wiffle ball field. And so we would, as soon as the bell would ring for break, we'd run out there and, and we'd make these lines and then we would figure out who's going to play. And as soon as we figured out who was going to play, uh, usually the two best ones would be, we'd say, you all are the captains. And they would step out. And whenever they step out, they'd turn around and they'd assess everybody that was left. And we'd all be kind of standing there in a the line, right? And, and they would paper, rock, scissors, see who picks first. And then they would start. Right, one, then the other, and one, and then the other, until they formed teams back and forth they would pick. Maybe a surprise to you, but I was never captain. I know, it's hard to believe. So I can't tell you the pressure of trying to pick a good team. I never had to pick a good team. But what I do have the pressure of is standing there going, don't be last, don't be last. Because I was always afraid that I would be the last one picked. But, but what would happen is, it would happen like this, you know, like the two captains would be like, I'm going to take Mike, and I'm going to take John, and I'm going to take Jody, and I'm going to take, you know, and back and forth. And you're just standing there going, please, please, don't let it be me be last. Because what happened was, when you got down to the last two, there were just two lonesome souls standing out there. And one of the captains go, all right, I'll take Chris. You can have the other one, you know. It's not a good feeling to be picked last. Um, can you, is it just me? Now, I was in the band for a reason. It may stun you. 
So I understand, you know, I really do understand how special it is when I read in the Bible, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16, and it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give you. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that good? That, that, that he chose me. He chose you. He chose us. Um, and I think it's awesome. Because it wasn't like he chose us because we were the last one. He didn't choose us because, well, I guess that's all that's left, so I'll take him. But he chose me on purpose for a purpose, to go and bear fruit. And I love it. I love it that he chose me. Now, I know this is early on, but, but I want to jump in. I mean, this is, this is deep into who I am and into everything we do, me and my wife, and a ministry uh, in everything we do, this is deep-seated. I hope that you know a beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. For me, this was put to the test one night. Um, we were at a church board meeting. You know, so at a church I was at monthly, they would have these meetings and they'd talk about the business and different things at the church. And so we were about 15 or 20 minutes into one of the most board meetings a board has ever met, right? So we were sitting around this U-shaped kind of table. They'd placed these tables together and we were sitting around that so everybody could see each other. And, and, and we were, like I say, well underway in this meeting when somebody we didn't know come in and they sat at an empty seat, just come in kind of quiet, pulled a chair out and sit down, scoot it in. And, 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 and we didn't know who it was, but you could tell he, he wasn't dressed for the occasion, right? He had ripped jeans and an ACDC shirt on, his unkept hair. Uh, uh, it did not meet the expectations of the others that were in the room. To be honest, I was in that room. The meeting continued as if, you know, like we didn't know what to do. So we just kept going like nothing weird. It's like this guy hadn't just walked in and sat down. And, and so after about 10 minutes, this new gentleman, he kind of looked around. He simply got up, pushed his chair back under the table, and he exited down this hallway. See, he came in through a door, but he exited out a hallway. And so there was no good exit out the hallway. So I got up and went to help him. And so I, I, I went and followed him. And I introduced myself and I said, could I help you? He said, my name's Mark. Um, I thought this was an AA meeting. It took him about 10 minutes to realize it wasn't. <laughs> Might not have been as good a meeting as we thought we were having. But I explained when and where those meetings took place, and I, I told him it was no big deal that he had stopped in, and I said, I actually think that it's awesome that you're here. Asked where he was from, and we talked for a few minutes, and, and, and in, the, in the mingling, I simply said, why don't you come to church with us this Sunday? We'd love to have you. Well, he looked at me, and at the pastor who was with me at the time, who would follow me down the hallway, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm not like you. I, I, I don't look anything like you at all. And in fact, you just said that, but you really don't want me here. 
look at me. I mean, I was stunned. I mean, I was took back. But not stunned that he had said that, but I was stunned because in a strange way, he's probably right. I mean, nobody said anything for just a couple of minutes, and I'm sure it was just a short time, but it felt like forever. And in that time, you know, you ever have one of those moments where you, like, process your whole life in, like, six seconds? Like, that's what's going on in my head after he said that. And I'm just looking back over my life, and I'm going, why am I here? What's this about? And so I'm fighting back tears. And I say, I do want you to come. In fact, this Sunday, I'm going to wear blue jeans and one of my concert shirts. That way, if you wear what you've got on, you're going to be just fine. And in fact, not only am I going to do that, whenever you come in, I want you to sit with me. And we just sat and we just stood and looked at each other. Nobody said anything else. There was just this feeling of judgment just kind of in the air. And he left, and I never saw him again. But this is part of the reason why like, that I don't dress up a whole lot for church. I mean, I, I, I just, uh, you know. And, and to this day, I remember that feeling I had, and I hate it. I hate that I felt that way. And I think about Mark pretty often, and I pray for him. If you've ever felt ashamed, unworthy, unwanted, uninvited, I want you to hear one of the greatest truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is this, that Jesus invites the people that others reject. Jesus invites those that religion despises, that others overlook, those that feel that they're not good enough. You're invited to the family of God because Jesus invites those that the others reject. So what we're going to do today is dive deep into a story that comes from Luke chapter 7. And, and, and I want to give you some context to this uh, story. That way, that way we'll understand kind of what's going on. So it was about 2,000 years ago. And Jesus was walking on the face of this earth, and, and he proclaimed to be God in the flesh. And people didn't know what to do. They didn't know, should I believe him? Is he crazy? What is it? They just knew a lot of things were happening, and excitement was building. And they were trying to put it in their minds the way it should be. Um, but even through all of that, everyone thought that if Jesus was indeed God in the flesh that he would like the Pharisees, that he would be in favor of the Pharisees because the Pharisees were, were very outwardly pious, and so they were very uh, visibly religious. It looked like they had it all together, just on the surface. It looked like they were what everybody should be. They wore these big robes. They prayed these long prayers. They had uh, these, these tassels that would show like, that they had knowledge and, and they would have these big ceremonies and they were impressively spiritual. And surely, they would never, ever, ever be around a sinner. They just kind of kept to themselves. So if Jesus were God, that's what he would be. Well, one day this Pharisee, his name was Simon, decided to throw a party at his house. And at that party that the Pharisee would throw, it's a little bit different than the parties we would throw today. They didn't have barbecue grill and hamburgers and hot dogs or, or maybe a big stack of Little Caesar pizza, right? Uh, but, but, it, but what they would do is they would gather 
at one of the Pharisee houses, and they would just speak of things of theology and the economy and its, you know, and how it relates to God and and. and uh, modern day things that were happening at the time and they would just try to show off their knowledge and their wisdom and all those things you know they'd have this meal and it would take place in this outer room of the house and the outer room had a porch that would go around it and it'd keep the door open and the windows open so that people outside could hear them just going on and on about all they knew and all that they were and they could, you know, uh, uh, know that they were in there talking about these important things and and all these cultural and political and economical and theological and all the implications of all that is what they would do. And people would gather on these porches and around the windows and listen. Why would they do that? Well, they didn't have internet, so, you know, there was no TikTok or Fortnite. Didn't have Netflix. They couldn't binge watch Real Housewives of Jerusalem. Uh, so, it was... It was first century entertainment. And, and so they would come. And, and so what happened was they were throwing one of these parties and Jesus got invited to this party. And then suddenly someone else come into the room that was not invited. And when this person walks into the party, it was the most shocking thing that these Pharisees had ever experienced. And they hated every moment of it. So Luke tells us, in Luke 7.37, he says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. It doesn't tell us what sin she had. Um, and it could be anything. I mean, it could literally be anything. But scholars agree that she was probably a prostitute. Uh, and so that's the sin that she would be carrying. A woman there in the town who had lived a sinful life that uh, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So imagine this. Uh, the Pharisees are all in this outer room and they're going on about all these things and uh, that, that they just, you know, just boasting about each other and, and just, just going on and on. And then suddenly this call girl walks into the party. And the Pharisee gasped. They're beside themselves. I mean, this isn't right. She's not invited. She's unclean. She's impure. She's a sinner. She's one of those people, right? She's not invited. She's unworthy. So I want us to pause for a moment and try to get our mind around um, the mind of this young, hurting woman. I mean, imagine what it would have been like to be her. I wonder how her life got this way. I wonder how she ended up in this mess. And I've been thinking about her situation. I can't prove it. But I think with all my heart that this wasn't the dream that she had. That this wasn't, you know, as she was growing up, this wasn't what she had hoped for in her life. Um, it wasn't like they were 10 or 11-year-old and they're, they're having a sleepover and they're playing truth or dare or light as a feather, whatever they did back then. And, and, and they say, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? Think I'll sell some Mary Kay. Think I'll be a dentist. Think I'll be a prostitute. It never happened that way. That she never had that kind of dream. And I promise she didn't say that. So if that's not what she wanted to do, how did she end up there? 
I mean, it's not profitable career. It's not a way to work yourself up the, the, the social ladder or, 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 or anything like that. It was a shameful, dark, degrading thing. And she finds herself here in a mess. And I can't help but think, how did she get there? I mean, did her husband leave her? And she had some kids to raise, and this is all she could do? Did her mom and dad die when she was young, and, and she had to provide for her? She had to make a way? I mean, she made some bad choices. There's no doubt about it. But did she start off by making one bad choice? And it spiraled out of control, and now she finds herself here. I don't know. But, but whatever happened to get her here, this is where she finds herself. And now she goes through every day feeling unloved, unwanted, ashamed, uninvited. Here's what I do know. I know that she probably feels like a lot of that we do. Not good enough guilty for what we've done or what we've been through, uh, wondering, how did I get here? How did I end up where I am today? I never thought I would be whatever. Divorced, bankrupt, unemployed, widowed, addicted to something, not in contact with my children. Don't speak to my parents. I don't know what it is. But maybe you never dreamed. You know, we find ourselves thinking, I never thought my life would be like this. I never thought I'd be here like this today. And so she felt uninvited. So what did she do? She walked straight into this Pharisee party and she dashes straight over to Jesus and she falls on her knees in a posture of worship. Then she breaks open this jar of perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And this is so significant. Two reasons. One, because this is her most valuable possession. We learn from Scripture that perfumes are very rare. Um, and almost no one could afford it. The value would have probably been a year's worth of her income, a year's worth of her wages. And this, so this was her nest egg. This was her life savings, basically. And she's pouring it out. Not only was it financially valuable, but in many ways, this was a symbol of her future. Um, because her perfume was kind of like her business card. See, normal women wouldn't wear perfume because, you know, it was so valuable. And if you had extra money, you wouldn't spend it on that. And, and so she would put it on, and it's kind of a way of saying, I'm available. And so what she does is in one single act, she worships Jesus, and symbolically, she repents of, she pours out her old lifestyle, and she gives Jesus her future, too, as she pours this out. It's the best I have, and in this moment, I'm giving it all to you. She worshiped him in that moment, and she was crying in repentance. In verse 38, it says this, that she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she couldn't stop crying. Um, you ever been there? You ever been to the, I mean, like for me, it's been within the last three weeks to where there wasn't nothing else to do but cry. To where she's at. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, she began to 
wet his feet with tears. And she wiped him with her hair. And then kissed him and poured perfume on him. And she just couldn't stop her emotions. And she wiped his feet with her hair. And in that day, that would have been scandalous. Because, see, Jewish women had to wear their hair up. You only took your hair down when you were behind closed doors. And so for her to take her hair down and to wipe Jesus' feet uh, was, was scandalous. And, and, I mean, she probably was crying, saw the tears, and says, Oh, my goodness, I don't have a towel. I do whatever it takes. Verse 39, the Pharisees were beside themselves. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, now this is Simon. Simon's the one that threw the party. And so they're talking about Simon. When Simon, the Pharisee, saw this, catch this, right? This is important. He said to himself, like he didn't say it out loud. He didn't, there wasn't no broadcast But he said to himself, he thought this in his mind, if this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So in other words, Simon thinks that the fact that Jesus is letting this prostitute even touch him, that there's no way he's the son of God. There's no way he could be a prophet because that would never happen. And Jesus is like, oh yeah? I'm just going to read your mind, right? Because that's what he does. I mean, uh, not only does he know the things we do, and so that's what the Pharisee were at odds with him because, you know, they, on the outside they looked beautiful, right? They were doing everything. But on the inside, you know. And, and, and so uh, he, that's what he does. And he speaks to him, and Jesus turns toward the woman, and he says, Do you see this woman, Simon? I came to your house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, Simon, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, yes, she's a sinner. Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then in one kind of sweeping motion, Jesus turns to this woman who has just poured out her life and her heart, and who the crevice of pain runs deep through the thickness of her heart. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. You are made white as snow. You are clean. You have new life. I give you hope. But here's a question I want us to answer is, why would this woman even risk coming to this party? Um, Why would she come and, and just be at the feet of Jesus? Why does she apparently rush from across town when she heard that Jesus was going to be here? Why would she walk past these men that probably had propositioned her at some point and probably were making fun of her or, or, or making some kind of calls or whatever as she was coming through this crowd? Why would she risk all this ridicule to make it to this room? Why would she go into the house of the Pharisee who wouldn't have 
wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as her. Why would she think I could just go in there? And she ignored every other person and ran straight to Jesus. I can't completely answer this question, but with a little bit of, of piecing together, um, the, the text really doesn't tell us, but uh, I, I can tell you what I really believe. What I believe is somehow she's experienced this unconditional love, this unconditional grace that only Jesus can give. And, and that's what gave her uh, the urgency to break into that party where she knew that Jesus was. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what happened. I mean, uh, but earlier in the same chapter, what he does tell us is that the disciples of John the Baptist came and they spoke with Jesus. And so you look in Matthew at this parallel version of this same exact story, and it talks about what the disciples come to, to talk to Jesus about. And, and, and it was on that very day which this lady would have come to the party that these disciples of John come to speak to Jesus. And so there's a chance that this woman uh, was in the crowd and, and, and heard what, it, what, what was said, the message that Jesus gave the disciples of John. And, and I want to summarize that. The summary of the message that Jesus would have given that day, and, and like I say, that woman might have been in the crowd, and if she was, she's probably in the back because she's probably ashamed to try to force her way up through the front. And, and so she was just back there just trying to say, you know, I've heard about this man, and, and I have questions, and I want to hear. And so she's just trying to get just a glimpse of what Jesus might have to say. So a summary of what Jesus would have said is you're invited to God's family. You're welcome. You can come just as you are. The message this woman would have heard if she was in the crowd on that day that she broke into the party is this exact message that she would have heard the Son of God proclaim. Jesus said, come to me. You are invited. He said, Who, who's invited? You are invited. And what he really said, come to me. You who are burdened and weary, and I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. Is that you today? Do you need to hear that call? Can you feel his love? <laughs> he says, come to me, those who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come to me, those of you who are burdened by shame. Come to me, those of you who are tired of trying and, 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 and never living up to standards that you've set for yourself, let alone standards that a church or somebody else might set up for you. And, and so you just give up. Jesus says, come to me, those who have been rejected by society, by people, those that have been rejected by a church. Come to me, those who religion has turned away, those who don't wear the right clothes. Come to me. You are invited. You are welcome. Come to me when you feel like you've got nothing left. Come to me when you've lost hope. Come to me when you feel so desperate that you just don't know what's next. You can't even fathom the next thing that will go wrong. Jesus says, you come to me. Jesus says, come when you're weary and when you're overwhelmed. And I'm going to give you rest, but not just any kind of rest. I'm going to give you a heavenly rest that has a hope that's attached to it that involves eternity. 
He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus says, you are invited. You're welcome into God's family. My father sent me to tell you he loves you, and you are invited. So I want us to notice something about this story, and this is really important, and I want us to get this. I want you to notice that pointing out this woman's sins didn't lead her out of this lifestyle. That ridiculing her for what she was doing didn't make a difference. Judging her lifestyle didn't change her. Shaming her for what she did didn't set her free from the past. So what was it that changed her? It was an invitation to know the Son of God. And that's the greatest invitation we'll ever have. We, want, we have an invitation to experience his grace and his goodness and his love and his freedom. Because we have to understand this. That you're invited to come. Come now. Come quickly. Come know my grace. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus says, come to me. You are invited. If you tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. If you like me, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail, and then fail, fail, fail. That's me. Jesus says, you know what? Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. If you feel ashamed, come to me. Unworthy, come to me. If you have doubts, come to me. If you have addictions, come to me. Come to me with your hang-ups, your baggage. Come to me with your past. Come to me with, with the things that people judge you over. Come to me. Jesus says, and I'm going to give you rest. I told you the story about Mark, the guy at the meeting, wrong meeting, right meeting, wrong meeting. Changed my life, I know that. But I made a decision in that moment that I was never going to let anything, clothes, attitude, whatever, keep somebody from Jesus. Listen to me, come as you are. Bring your hang-ups, bring your doubts, bring your worries, bring your insecurities. Jesus says you are invited. Jesus told another story right here. And, and, and it's, in, it's in Luke 14. And he said there's this guy and he was throwing this wedding banquet. And there was a, a reception, a party. And Jesus said the guy invited a bunch of people to come. He said come to the party. But everybody had their excuses. Just got married. We just bought a house. We can't go. Right? In our world today, if you kind of brought this into it, it'd be, I'm busy. I'm just so tired this week. It's killed me. Right? We'll come, but, you know, we got the big game. Can't come. Right? The Internet people are coming tomorrow, and it's somewhere between the hours of 8 and never. Right? ton of excuses. Come to me. We don't have time, right? And so here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, if they're not interested, I want you to go and compel them to come. Go grab them and tell them how beautiful this banquet's going to be, how wonderful this heavenly kingdom's going to be. Tell them about my goodness, my grace, my mercy. Go get them and tell them to come. And if they don't come, If those who people expect to come don't come to the party, I want you to go and I want you to invite the blind and the lame and the crippled. 
And this matters because in that day when Jesus lived, if you were blind, lame, or crippled, that means you had done something bad to bring this onto yourself. You had sinned and brought this onto yourself. Jesus says, go get them. Go get the sinners. Go get the ones who are broken and bring them to this party because there's a place at the table. Compel the lame, the crippled, the blind. Compel those that everyone despises or overlooks or rejects. Compel them to come to my kingdom. Do you feel that in your, do you feel that? His grace draws us to him and there's still room. There's still room and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. You are invited into this family of God. And that's the invitation. If you'd like to come to this kingdom of God today, don't wait. As we sing this last song, know that this is a safe place. That this lady, she bust down, she's bust into this room and she come and she laid at his feet. And, and symbolically, if you come up here and you down, you are laying in front of Jesus Christ. And you pour out your past and you pour out your future. You say, I'm going to trust you with what's coming, but I'm also going to let go of what I've had. So as we sing this last song. And you want to let go. This is a safe place. And there's people in this room who will come and pray with you and pray for you. There's people here who, who would love nothing more than to do that. Maybe you say, well, I've already given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm saved. You can still let go and you can still grab a hold. This is a safe place. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to stir in us. God, would you draw us, invite us into your family today. God, we pray that you would inspire us as your family to fall so in love with you that we couldn't imagine anything else but your kingdom. I pray, Father, that you compel people. You show them what a life, a life abundant is like. And God, I pray that you draw people in by the power of your spirit. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how dark our life is. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter the secrets that nobody else knows. We pray, Father, that we come to you because I know that you hear our prayers and that you forgive our sins. And he's calling us to you today. I pray for those who say, I need his grace. I need his mercy. And today, Father, I pray that they accept that invitation to turn from the old and to turn toward you. And I pray, Father, that we turn over our lives to you. I pray they have the courage to stand and the courage to move. In your name I pray. Amen.